Hello, Ted Buds. Hannah here. We are throwing it back again this week to a guest episode. We are throwing it back to our episode with Zariel back in episode 92, talking all about challenging diet culture. As a Latina dietitian, we talk all about cultural foods and how to incorporate those through an intuitive eating non-diet approach. After this week, we have one more episode to share with you before we get into season eight. We are so excited to have brand new content starting on February 21st. For now, enjoy a little throwback. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. Today, we are joined by a brand new guest. We are joined today by Zariel Gruyon. Zariel is a first-generation Dominican-American raised in Jersey, living in the Bronx. When she's not working at her outpatient clinic job, you can find her playing with her dog, Tuna, and running Love Your Chichos, a platform focused on empowering comadres to embrace food freedom by ditching la dieta and loving themselves inside and out. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. She is going to talk about diet culture as Latina, and I'm so excited for this episode. We, I don't think we've talked about anything. Like, I don't think we've had any Latina dietitians on. So this is perfect. The oh, first nice. time we'll have this. So, right, let's get into it. Tell us about a day in your life what you do for work, past education, hobbies, whatever you want to share. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, starting point. I'm currently working as an outpatient dietitian here in the Bronx. And my day in life changes every day. We do work hybrid still, thankfully. So some days I'm in the office seeing patients in person. And other days I'm home seeing patients through telehealth, uh, you know, video, phone visits, things like that. We are super busy. I work with a team of three amazing dietitians, me included, and then we have a food pantry coordinator and then other great, amazing staff that I work alongside with. When I'm not home, that's when I like do all my other fun stuff. Like I run my social media platform, Love Your Chichos, and play with my dog, Tuna, and do a lot of like creative stuff in the fun time. Like I've started um, drawing on my iPad. That's been a lot of fun. Cooking. I'm always cooking something, making TikToks, having fun in between the days that I, or the hours that we don't have to be at work. That sounds like a great balance of everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's, and you need that creative side. The drawing sounds so fun. I feel like drawing has become much more popular recently or like it's growing a lot more. I agree, on the iPad especially, I've heard of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a little bit less intimidating. You don't have to worry about like smudging the paper or you can erase way easier. That's kind of why I picked it up um a little bit quicker. So it's been fun and it feels like a little kid activity. Good yeah. for our inner child. I was just gonna say Very like important. healing that inner child. I love it. <laughs> Amazing. So let's talk about what brings you in today. So we've, we've talked about diet culture in the past on here, but it's always good to have a refresher. So we want to hear from you. What is diet culture kind of in your words? What would you say encompasses? Yeah, I love this question, right? Because when we're thinking of diet culture, it's like this umbrella term for what? Right. And I feel like when we're speaking to 
uh, Latinos or different folks from different cultural backgrounds, giving examples of what diet culture is, it's helpful because it's not something that's been named necessarily before in a way that like, oh, this thing is diet culture because it's so ingrained in our culture that we wouldn't recognize it as something else. Um, so I think that diet culture is anything that disconnects you from being who you are, right? And that can present itself in ways of like disconnecting you from the way that you feel when you're eating or disconnecting yourself from the way that you move your body, disconnecting yourself from the way that you look and want to look because of uh, media and stuff. So I think diet culture, I like to say, is this machine, this monster that's preying on you in a way to like change. And it does that because it's making money off of you um, and it enjoys making money off of you. So the more that it can like tap into any insecurity that it creates, the more lucrative it is. Um, and when I do TikToks, I sometimes use a like a, a crab hat to like illustrate like the crabby diet culture, like just coming to ruin whatever the experience is. Because, um, you know, we just have to like identify it, see it, and then make steps in our own lives to like break it down a little bit, dismantle it in smaller, smaller ways. I love that. It it definitely is like the aspect of always trying to change different parts about yourself. Something I always like to say is that your body is not this project that like always has to be worked on, which mm -hmm. I feel goes right along with your definition there of just like, you don't really need to change, even if diet culture is trying to sell you the idea of changing so they can make money in some way. So that was, I love that definition. That was a good way to put it. I also yeah. love how you personified it as like a crap because that <laughs> I helps. love that that helps a lot when people can like see something besides mm -hmm. talking about this like when we talk about like theories or hypotheticals and people are like well what are you talking about like you're this this is diet culture <laughs> and we can direct all of our thoughts towards it I love that a lot yeah her name is uh Titi Claudia like claw Titi Claudia oh, and yeah good. she be so mean sometimes <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome so funny <laughs> well I want to get more into our niche topic of the day which leads us to our next question so how has being a Latina dietitian affected your experience in the dietetic space we're going to get more into the diet culture side in a minute talking about like cultural foods and things like that but um first I want to ask like again like what is your experience as a Latina dietitian um, in a field that maybe isn't super duper diverse, to be honest, what are your, what are your, what are your experiences and thoughts on all of that? I think, yeah, firstly growing up, like I didn't even know what a dietitian was really. Like I knew my mom saw a dietitian, but I didn't, I, it was just a room that she went to, to get some stuff. And then she would come back. Like, that's all I knew. Um, so I didn't even know that was an option for me to, pursue right I went to school to be a dentist and then when I didn't want to do that my parents were like figure it out because you're not going to be going to school for the rest of your life um so entering the space of dietetics and nutrition it was very much like learning that the western diet and the mediterranean diets were the diets to follow so it was a lot of erasure of my culture and times where 
my foods were talked about was like things to avoid or things that were bad or things that you need to watch out for, or this population is going to have diabetes. So it was always shown in a bit of a, a negative light. And that was like something that I had to unpack in my professional space after graduating and becoming an RD, because in the moment you're just like trying to pass all your classes and like not realizing what is being told to you. Um, and then when you kind of become a dietitian and you start working in these spaces, you start to see how these things that are being taught to you affect the people that you're working with, your colleagues, the way that they're speaking to their patients as well. And it has, it like sparks this desire to undo all that and like help people be seen as they are, as you're providing care. And I think uh, being a Latina helps me relate to the specific population that I'm speaking to because I currently work in a predominantly Latino um, space. So it's helpful to like know the foods that they're talking about, validate that our foods are nutritious, uh, also know like the habits and the holidays and all that stuff that also plays a role in be build being able to build that connection. So I think um, it, it's a lot that it was a long-winded response to that, but it was, it's a lot of like having to re-identify parts of my culture where they were not like celebrated in the way that we were taught. That's such a good point. I love how you brought up like you're taught, we're being taught these things in our curriculum and it doesn't really leave space for like critical thinking because yeah. you're just kind of trying to pass. You're not really like, mm -hmm. hmm, this what does this really mean? Or like, why are, why are they educating us this in, in this way? And it isn't much nicer. Like after you can think about it and be like, make your own decisions. It's not like you going up against curriculum or saying something different is going to make you get a bad grade. It's just, that's how you practice, which is mm -hmm. good. I feel like you kind of answered part of the next, the second part of like what has been like a Latina dietitian, the diet culture space been a little bit like in the sense of like maybe those like different types of foods or like they were saying like these foods are bad, quote unquote. We always say quote unquote because people don't always watch. So we have to let them know. The and then um, like the different populations targeted, but we can still transition into that if you would like to share upon that experience, like specifically diet culture related, how do you think you'll, you being a Latina dietitian has maybe like affected your experience in the diet culture space or just things maybe you've noticed a little bit more now that you are a practicing dietitian? I think the fear that diet culture has created around our cultural foods is so pervasive when we are speaking with people and the assumptions that they have of what we're going to be telling them because we're dietitians and like they're already like on the defense or like scared and uncomfortable because they think we're going to say like, yes, you're going to have to cut out everything, white rice, beans, all these things that we know are integral to the way that meals are prepared. So being able to have the education that we have and understand how diet culture works and then being able to be who I am with the patient, I'm able to be like, oh, that's not really what we're here for. We're here to like see what's going on, 
um, find areas where you can add stuff to your life that could help you reach your goals, like really building that relationship and um, allowing for like comfort and ease to be in the room because it's very uncomfortable especially little kids when they come to see us they're like I don't want to talk to them because they're going to tell me to lose weight or whatever the case may be and my team we do a lot of work around creating a safe space for all of our patients that is weight neutral um so like going against that machine of diet culture is really hard and then sometimes patients aren't even ready to accept that, right? Like we understand that diets don't work. We understand that if you lose weight really fast, your chances of regaining it are really high. Um, but some patients are so trapped, I guess, and you could say in diet culture that that's scare that is even scarier to them than like the restriction that diet culture allows you to have. So being able to meet them where they're at in whatever capacity it is and then like helping them reach a goal that slowly starts to break down some of those walls that diet culture kind of set in it's so true like it just often feels easier for them to stay in the diet cycle they've been in for probably decades for some people mm-hmm. and that's why us just sitting here and saying okay from here on out like don't weigh yourself ever again and don't ever consider going on a diet. Like that's just not helpful advice. We have to kind of like slowly reel them out of it and give them actual tangible things they can do to help get away from that mindset. Cause they've probably been in that forever. Mm-hmm. And then what is like, it's also a form of control. Like you're telling me that oh, this yeah. one tool that I had to control something, I can't use it. So how can I either learn that I don't need to have the control or have a different type of control. And that's very alarming for somebody. I know, I'm sure there's so many patients though that come to see you and are so glad and relieved when they're not like, oh my gosh, they're not going to make me take out white rice. I can eat white rice still. And they're not going, they're not going to weigh me every time. Like Mm -hmm. it's, I'm glad we're talking about it now because there is definitely that like stereotype around dietitians. Um, not to say all of them don't are like this, but <laughs> <laughs> we're hopefully making some progress in that direction. And I'm sure they appreciate it a lot. So that's good. Yeah, they definitely do. They do tell us. Um, and then it helps us like the wins makes it a little bit like more fun. Like we get to celebrate like I ate vegetables three days this week. Like, yes, thank you. Or like we have a, a Slack channel because we're millennials and <laughs> um, one is just wins. And we have lots of like patient pooping, patient pooping. Like, yes, like <laughs> yes, everybody's pooping. <laughs> um, so helping them like see all those non-scale victories is like great. They're small steps, but they're huge in their life. Yeah, huge. Well, you mentioned like the beans and rice, for example, and I actually see patients once in a while who um, are Latino as well. And they do come to me with this fear of like, we eat like a pretty, like we eat beans and rice on a regular basis. Like it's just part of our culture. And they do assume that as a dietitian, I'm going to say, cut those things out. They're full of carbs. You shouldn't be eating those. And so I'm sure that's even more prevalent in a location of this country where, um, there is a higher population of Latinos. So 
I want to get into that question next. So how, how does culture impact nutrition and what is the importance of this culture, cultural inclusivity, especially for us as dietitians? I feel like <clears throat> food is the one of the unifiers, right? So if mm -hmm. we're trying to think of talking to people about their food, we have to understand what their food is. First, we have to understand if they have food, right? Because I do work yeah. in the South Bronx, so it's uh, high rates of food insecurity. So first, we have to understand if people have food. Once we know that they have food, we have to understand what foods they're comfortable eating, what foods they have access to. Um, depending on like their income, job, uh, time, all these things, <clears throat> then we can understand the patient and the foods that they enjoy eating. And then we can work around those things to help build healthier habits. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it's a little bit harder when the resources are so slim and we're relying on like public assistance snap all these things we're stretching so much and we're trying to say yeah eat your fruits and vegetables and all that stuff add them in any way that you can but recognizing that there's like food that's spoiling quickly because of the supermarkets that are in the area or um not being able to stretch the snap until you know the next round of payments come through, right? So <clears throat> that part of like the culture of the place that I work is something that's always at the forefront. And then also culturally, the foods that we are eating, trying to assess like what's going on. I remember I say this story all the time. It's a little silly, but we, my, I am Dominican, but we only ate cake for like birthday parties, baptism, like special events. And I was an intern and a patient was saying that they were eating a cake every day, like a slice of cake every day. And I'm like, how many birthdays are you going to? Like, and they looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you have Dominican cake on a birthday or like something. And they were like, no, I just go to the bakery and I get cake. And I was like, oh my God, I did not even know that that was an option, first of all. And two, it's like, okay, now I understand that you have a habit or like a pattern of going to the bakery to get your cake. Like, how can we adjust this to help you reach your other goals? So um, really being able to like understand the nuances of the foods that we have and then like helping people navigate the systems that are in place that feed uh, diet culture and also feed poverty. I love that story so much. That's so funny. Um, I feel like that just, I don't really have much to comment on, but that's like a really good point is just diving deeper into like, just that very shallow, like, oh, you shouldn't be eating that. Not that we're doing that, but it's very much perceived where like people make assumptions about people's dietary habits or their health based off what they see. But I feel like that's a good lesson for dietitians and healthcare professionals because nutrition always gets commented on whether it's a dietitian or not. Um, and really just understanding the why behind the action a little bit more and make, and not making a 180 change. That's like, all right, stop eating your cake or like substitute it with like a stalk of broccoli. That's, <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> yeah. That's awful. 
I would I would stop going to that diet. I would too. And be yeah. like, fuck you. I'm not gonna <laughs> see you. Yeah. Or they're like, oh no. <laughs> Realistic changes and we're not doing crazy things like that. <laughs> so what are some of the most common we've we've talked about beans and rice. What are some of the most common myths you've seen that you'd like to debunk around Latina culture and food in diet culture, or just like in general, if there are other diet culture myths that you feel that need to be addressed, which ones do you want to bring up now? I think at the forefront, I'm thinking that the idea or belief that Latinos don't eat vegetables is like the most one that like enrages me because there's vegetables in everything that we do right and if we're thinking of historically how we ate our diets were rich in vegetables it wasn't until colonization that we started domesticating animals so we really have this idea that our foods are not rich with vegetables and I have to speak to a lot of people to point out the areas where there's vegetables in their days um and a lot of healing, like medicinal herbs, we cook with and use to season and prepare foods. Those are all things that count. And I feel like because of diet culture, a lot of those foods get discredited and like ignored and not acknowledged, but they're there. And I often encourage folks to recognize those vegetables. And if they want to make their plates like a little bit more balanced, like add more, like if we're making um, pollo guisao, which is like a stewed chicken or a stewed meat dish, a lot of peppers, onions, um, cilantro, all of that goes in there. So just add some more peppers so it looks like you're having more vegetables when you're serving it. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And it's so frustrating because then the the option or the alternative is like adding these vegetables in that we don't really eat growing up. And I feel like Western diet tells us that we have to eat these vegetables to be healthy. And it's like, no, we have our own freaking vegetables that we eat, that we eat. And I think that's part of the, um, I have a series, which I lost my microphone, which is why I stopped, but I found it today for um, the podcast. And it was a series defending vegetables and people started like suggesting vegetables that culturally we eat. And I'm like, I'm looking up the the benefits. I'm like, wow, this is even more than I, like I knew it was nutritious and stuff, but it's like way more than we give it credit because it's just full of so many minerals and vitamins and all these things. And we just eat it because it's our food, but they deserve to be, you know, highlighted and celebrated just as much as kale and Boston lettuce and stuff it's so true i think of like like baby carrots and celery are the big two i feel like diet culture is like if you're not eating baby carrots as a snack every day like you are not a healthy person <laughs> i love baby carrots <laughs> i do too they're so great and i wish diet culture would stop like making them like on this crazy pedestal because um they're good but i mean they're not this like magical thing that we should be eating <sighs> so i'm curious like what vegetables are ones that are like really prioritized like in the foods that you tend to eat for me um besides kale I really love kale I I worked on a farm and I grew kale and it was a lot of fun but I'm a big fan of like 
repollo, which is cabbage. Like we have a lot of cabbage. I like to add different color kind of cabbage. Um, I've been really into beets. My mom used to make a beet salad with pickled onions. And I've been eating that a lot recently. Those are kind of the big ones. Um, Kale, onions. I have all kinds of onions in the house all times of the day to make. And then avocados, obviously. Um, Dominican avocados. They're bigger and more like watery. And they're better than hot. Yeah, I could go on and on. I have, I, we eat a lot of vegetables. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Amazing. Well, an easy way for them to know what vegetables you like is just to go check out your TikTok, which we will include in the show notes. So now they have no choice, but if they want to hear more (laughs) vegetables that you like, they can check it out there. Um, and you found your microphone, so the series yes. can continue. <laughs> it goes on. <laughs> so I realized I forgot to include this in the outline, but we always like to end with like a final thoughts. If there was one last thing you want our audience to hear or to take away, what would you share with them? I think <clears throat> I would want everyone to know is to trust your gut. Like when it comes to speaking with healthcare professionals or healthcare professionals, RDs pursuing the field or navigating career life, like your intuition, your gut intuition guides you a lot. And when things don't feel right in terms of like policies being made at work or especially now with the uh, guidelines that AAP, mm-hmm. you know, um, let out like, conversations are going to be happening in our workspaces like trust your gut to navigate you and to lead you to create an authentic life but also a life that supports other people with love um trust your gut is always my go-to thing for anything your gut tells you a lot your intuition can guide you a lot more than anything I like that I like that and a a plug for our listeners we did if you haven't listened to it yet, release an episode on those um, AAP guidelines for pediatric um, obesity. So if you are wanting to learn more about that, we have an episode on that that has come out. So check it out. Um, But let's get into our bonus question. So this is sort of the less educational piece of our (laughs) podcast where we get more into the fun stuff. Not that it hasn't been a blast so far, but um, definitely less stress here. So our question today is, of course, food related, and we let our guests go first. So what is the best way to eat corn? Is it when it's on the cob or off the cob? What are your thoughts? You know, I was debating this the whole time. (laughs) Um, I have to say roasted off the cob. Roasted corn. Oh, so good. Sounds so good. Yeah, that's my favorite. (laughs) I didn't even think about roasting it. I might copy your answer. That one sounds so good. I like, I feel like on the cob, I guess I'll give my answer next. I'm like, if you don't mind That's going okay. right into it, um, like it tastes so good on the cob and I can appreciate, like, I can appreciate the act of doing it. And it is just, it brings people together sometimes, but it just gets in your teeth and it's in there for like days. It's probably the least favorite part and your hands get dirty, which Emily, I know is probably going to be your answer. <laughs> um, they do have those like little stick things you can put in, but I definitely agree off the cob is better and roasted. Bonus points for that, for sure. I'm also team off the cob yeah, because I don't want to get my hands dirty. I knew it. And it gets stuck in your teeth and it 
I hate flossing and that just makes you <laughs> floss more. So, but the roasted part, I didn't even think about the the style we're cooking, but that sounds so good right now. With like cotija on top. Oh, so good. Yeah. Sounds really good. I don't think I have any corn this week. So now I'm sad. <laughs> corn corn is one of those also those diet culture foods that everyone's like, no, corn has no oh, nutrient yeah. value. Don't ever eat it. Please. Yeah. Corn is amazing. Corn. Yeah. Yes. We, I already told the listeners that they need to go check out your TikTok. So they already know you have a TikTok, but this is your time now to plug whatever you would like to. If our listeners want to hear more about you, or maybe they want to hear your tangent, maybe it was about corn somewhere <laughs> else. Where can they find you? This be like social media, websites, business things, whatever you want to plug. The floor yeah. is yours. Thank you. Um, I think the best place to find me is Love Your Chichos everywhere on TikTok and Instagram. We all I also have a newsletter that I send out monthly. Um, you can also sign up for coaching. I'm starting coaching and counseling this year with my friend Fadila. Uh, she's Latinx RD on Instagram and we started Radicare. It's a worker owned uh, private practice, virtual private practice. We'll be seeing our first clients this year. So if you want to work with me to help you ditch the dieta, that is a place to go. But Love Your Chichos Everywhere will get you to me and then anywhere else that you want to go. And we'll link all of that in the bio and the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been a wonderful episode and it was so fun. I feel like our listeners are definitely going to appreciate it. And they'll be very happy to hear other people, our team, corn, rice, and beans. (laughs) (laughs) They just got to hear from more more people. It'll be good. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I love listening to you guys. So now it's like talking to celebrities. Oh, thank you so much. You're like a guest love appearance to us. So (laughs) the feeling's mutual. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. Go check out all of her socials. And if you don't, we'll be unhappy with you, but it won't be personal. A threat. (laughs) I don't know if threatening is the best marketing tactic, but we'll talk about that later. I'm not loving. loving. You're right. I highly encourage you and very strongly encourage you to check out her social medias. (laughs) And we'll leave it at that. Or else. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Well, we'll tune back in next week. Otherwise, have a good rest of your day, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of The Upbeat Dietitians with your hosts, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at The Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.